0: Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Revelation 13 this morning. Revelation chapter 13 will be in verses 1 through 10. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. It was 1990 spring. Kathy and I were engaged. We were still at Dallas Baptist University and My friend Darren and I went to a Dallas Mavericks basketball game. It was his birthday, and he had two tickets, and so I got to go with him. Well, our tickets, we got there early, but our tickets were the very top row. And um, so we were sitting up there, and there was a man that came up in a suit before the game, and he said, excuse me, gentlemen, it's my job to pick the three-point shooter for the the prize at halftime. And so I pointed to my friend Darren, and he said, and so you're in the seat, my friend Darren was and still is, six foot ten, and so he turns to me and he says i, I, I don 't shoot outside. you take it." And um, So the guy instructs me and says, "No, if you make this three point shot it 's a trip for two to Paris." Well, Kathy had studied French in high school; she 'd always wanted to go to, uh, to France, and so I, I pretty much mentally missed the first half of the game. This was back in the days of pay phones. I went and called her and said you 're not know, going to get to shoot this shot." And so the guy told me where to go um, right before halftime. And so I met this man there and and uh, the players are coming off. And, of course, they're giants. And and uh, so he said, tell me what to do and what's going to happen. And he said, "Now, when you get out there in this big stadium, that three point shot's going to look like a free throw. And I said, what happens if I miss? Will they boo? And uh, he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> no pressure. You know, whatever, 15,000 uh, people are going to boo. Well, we didn't go to Paris. Uh, I did hit the rim. So that, that's the good news, bad news. The front of the rim, and for about a week, I laid in bed thinking just a little bit more. You know? But, you know, but he said, yeah, they'll boo. Well, no one wants to get booed. No one wants their their name smeared. We, we like our name. Our name doesn't represent us, as you've heard me say before. Our, our name is not a list, a string of alphabet characters. Our name is who we are. And so is the Lord's name. And today, in a mixture, in this passage before us, we're, we're seeing one of the worst things ever in Scripture In the middle of this end of the devil's reign, in the middle of his final, final demise, which is good news, we see an evil that is at the top, and that is the blaspheming of the name of our Lord with the rise of the Antichrist. Let's read in chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. And the dragon, we we saw him before, he was identified as the devil. The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And pause here as we read through here. That the word blasphemy is to, to speak evil against someone, and particularly against their name. And so you're going to see this word in its various forms all through this passage. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? It was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people And tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints first again this 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 great uh, evil of the blasphemy of god with the rise of the antichrist we see here again the devil standing as the dragon on the sand of the seashore here comes this beast in chapter 13 we'll see two beasts one here coming from the sea another will come from the land The Antichrist, and then next week as we get to the second half of the chapter, the false prophet who will convince the world to follow after the Antichrist. Well, here is this hideous beast coming up out of the sea, and he has ten horns and seven heads. What do we do with with this Fellow. Well, coming up out of the sea, the sea oftentimes represented that of the Gentile nation. Many, of course, point to Rome. We see things hence throughout the book of Revelation that Rome in some form maybe uh, uh, become a world power again. What does that exactly look like? We don't know. Does it have anything to do with current day Rome? We don't know. But there are many things that point that way. These ten horns, we learn over in Revelation 17 that there will be ten European powers there that will lend their authority to this Antichrist, to the beast. Many then thought that the European Union, which originally had ten nations in it, must be uh, these ten. Of course, we get into trouble when we begin to look too hard at world events, knowing this is certainly this, or this is certainly that. You have heard over the years many things that could have been, but it's okay to wonder. Just don't don't set your anchor too hard on these things. The European Union then quickly became more than ten nations, and, and so... Uh, At least that time, it wasn't. So here are these ten horns and these seven heads. Seven heads we learn later in another case in uh, chapter 17 seem to have to do with the seven hills of Rome. But many have also considered that these seven heads could represent the seven great uh, powers of uh, Assyria and Babylon and the Medo-Persian and Greece and Rome and even this last power uh, uh, during this uh, second half of the tribulation. Uh, nevertheless, this is what this beast looked like. Well, and it says that he looked like a leopard, and his feet were those of a bear, and his mouth the mouth of a lion. We go back to the prophecy given to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. It's exactly this same thing. And we're told there that Babylon, Greece, and the Persians are represented in those... Types of characteristics of these animal-like creatures of the leopard and the bear and the mouth of the lion. But even in Daniel, there's a fourth kingdom that belongs to this Antichrist. And there in Daniel, we see that there were uh, was the horns on the head. One was a small horn, and it was the one who would be hideous and would take out the other three, this Antichrist. And the dragon... The devil gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. What we see throughout here in this passage, in this chapter, is how the devil, from the very beginning until his very end, he will mimic and he will mock and he will try to pretend that he is like the great God, and so we 'll see the dragon we 'll see the Antichrist, the false prophet, even this false Trinity here that we see, but one of the heads was as if it had been slain, and the fatal wound healed, and so the whole earth was amazed and followed him. It appears that the antichrist will will have some sort of fake death and resurrection, and they would already be. Tying this to Nero and to Rome, Nero uh, had, had, uh, was killed, and then there was the rumor that he was back to life. He didn't come back to life. He only died once, like the rest of us. But uh, Nero redivivus was this, this, uh, this rumor that Nero had died and come back to life. And so this is the same picture. He'll have something that will amaze all the world. And so the devil is always, even to this day, faking, 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 trying to lure us away from what God said is true. The devil, we read in John 10, says that the, the, Jesus that he came, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And everything that he can do to take down the name of our Lord, everything that he can do to take God's glory away, everything he can do to lead people away from following and worshiping the Lord He does. Everything he does is blasphemous against our Lord. And so he will suffer forever and ever and ever for it. But even today he's doing this. He says, you can get pleasure outside of what God says are the ways that you're to get pleasure. And it ends in sorrow, in death. He says... You don't have to do what your parents say, because your parents, after all, they lived from another generation. They're old fuddy-duddies. Well, yeah, they are old fuddy-duddies. But it ends in regrets. He says that you can get rich quickly, scheming your way to the top. It doesn't have a good end for us. He says you can get your, give your freedom to yourself to do whatever you want to do. Ironically, it ends in bondage when we say, I don't want to do what God says to do. I want to do what I want to do. And that's what the devil loves to do to me, to you. He says, I know what God said from the very beginning. His very first words to Adam and Eve. Has God really said? And he still says that to you and to me. In Daniel 8, 24, speaking of all this at the end, Daniel writes, his power will be mighty. But not by his own power. But then they all worship the dragon, this Antichrist. They worship the dragon who gives his authority to the beast or the Antichrist. They worship the beast. And see what this reminds you of. Who is like the beast? You remember the prophet Micah. The prophet Micah, his name literally was a question Who is like the beast? Our God. And so here again, the devil is at work to twist all of these things that belong to God to try to steal them for himself to blaspheme the name of our Lord. So he asked, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? And it was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And again, this is the second half of the horrible tribulation. And he opened his mouth with blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, and those who dwell in heaven. And we just see this over and over, this, this horrible thought that anyone would dare to stand and to blaspheme the name of our Lord. And yet the devil brazenly does it over and over. And he blasphemes God and those who belong to him in the tabernacle. Oh, friend whether you know Christ as your Savior or not, oh, be careful to never do anything that in effect is blaspheming the Lord or His people. It's His church. His church is so important to Him that He died to create it. And may we not ever blaspheme. We can disagree, but don't blaspheme His church or His name. And so here he is, just brazenly, openly, and this is what it's going to be like. Don't say to yourself, I I believe in God, I I want to, to become a Christian, a Christ follower, I want to put my faith in him, but I'm just going to wait. You know, I'm going to wait until these things really seem to be real. Oh, friend, do not wait. Most will not come to faith in this time of tribulation. But even those who do will go through a living hell here on this earth. Do not wait for all of these things could begin to happen today. And so he has this this mouth. But then, so crucial here in verse 7, we ask this question. Number two, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Here it is in verse 7. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them because the devil is more powerful than we are in our own flesh. Praise the Lord. We don't have to rely on the power of our own flesh because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But those who are putting their faith in Christ during this horrible tribulation, he will overcome them for a time. And he will have authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him unless their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. What is the Lamb's book of life? Well, there will be two judgments in the end. There will be the judgment of the believer at the Bema seat. We will have a review of our life with the Lord. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But it's not about whether you are going to heaven or whether you know Christ or not. That's for those who have already placed their faith in Christ. And they're going to spend eternity with him. But the great white throne judgment will be the place where those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ will be turned away. And this symbolic, possibly, but this book in the Lord's hands, in the Lord's mind. Those who have not placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Because the Lamb it says was slain. The names, there's, there's two ways to look at this verse. Either the names were written in the book before the foundation of the world, and the slain of our Lord and Savior was accomplished, as it were, before the foundation of the world, or the names have been written there since before the foundation of the world, and Christ was slain. It really doesn't matter which one you choose because they're both true. Before the foundation of the world, before God created any part of this world, He knew every single person who would put their faith in Him. He knew that before time began. He knew who would say yes to Jesus, who would say no to Jesus. And He also knew, before the foundation of the world, that the only way they could say yes is if He, God in flesh, came to this earth to die on the cross for us. Everyone else, it says, will worship the Antichrist, who blasphemes the name of our Lord. Always, when I see this verse, think of our, our oldest. I mentioned Micah, that our oldest, and he's not here, so I can tell you that his homeschool time began in the bathtub. He was three, that's one of the few places he stayed still. And um, we were in Osaka, Japan, and so Kathy was teaching him how to read using some Christian phonics cards And that that blend, the M-B, Lamb, uh, this was the verse. uh, That was the the illustration verse for how to say that sound. And so he asked, Mommy, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And thus began a conversation. He was three and a half or almost four. And thus began a conversation where he came to Christ in the bathtub. Um, And so next time you see him visit, you can ask him about that. He's 27 now. Uh, Now, in Japan, we also baptized in the bathtub, but that was a little different uh, scenario, and that's so interesting. A lot of his spiritual life was in the bathtub. But how crucial this question is, though, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Those watching online, those in this room, don't guess at it. Don't wonder. It's not about being religious. It's not about being a church member, as important as that is. That's something we do after. It's not about being an American. It's about coming to the place where you say, I know that I've sinned against God. And I believe that God came to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And He and He alone can pay for my sin. And I want to turn and put my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone in no other name. And want to turn and follow after Him. Old friend, You've got to nail that down today so that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. For otherwise, you will spend eternity separated from God in heaven. All roads don't lead to heaven. All religions don't lead to heaven. Only Jesus Christ. Nail it down today or else you will be one of these whose names are not written and you will worship the Antichrist who blasphemes our Lord. But then how do these believers, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, how do they make it? And that's the last thing today. In verse 10, they make it. by Perseverance and faith. The same way we make it today, though it will be much worse for them in that day. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. And here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. It appears that in this day, the Antichrist will come. And a Christian in this day, just like a Christian today, but a Christian especially in this horrible, horrible day, he won't be able to kill the Antichrist. He won't be able to defend himself physically with physical force from the Antichrist. The only hope he has is perseverance and faith. What does perseverance mean biblically? This biblical word here for perseverance, it doesn't mean just to kind of let it happen. It doesn't mean to just kind of be rolled over and and just take it. No, this perseverance, it's not a passive word. It means to bear up under. It's an active word. And it can only be done by the power of the Lord living in you. And so it's to persevere with faith. This word can mean faith in Christ. It can mean faithfulness. It's interpreted different ways from this same root. So the believer here in the second half of the horrible tribulation will make it. By bearing up under with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is also how we make it today. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's come your way, this is the same model. The perseverance and the faith of the saints. Think of the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Now those folks weren't praised. They weren't put into the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 for being grateful to God that things were so great. They were put in the hall of faith for maintaining their faith and their perseverance, even though things were so bad around them. Psalm 34, 7, 17 to 19. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. But they've got to have troubles to be delivered out of. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then this is this verse that I don't like. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's just a reality. But the Lord in his time as we persevere with faith, he will deliver us out of them all. But but here's this antichrist. And we'll see his demise. But as I studied this passage this week and just looked at how many times the word blasphemy is there. And how many actions of his are are actions of blasphemy against our God. I had to ask the question for, for me as a believer, and I want to ask you the question as a believer. Does that really bother us? I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments, not take the Lord's name in vain. But does it really bother us as believers? And it has so many forms. I mean, certainly just that, that alone, putting ourselves in situations to hear the Lord's name taken in vain, does that bother you anymore? Please ask God to let it bother you if it doesn't. And of course, everything, of course every, everything starts somewhere and leads somewhere, even cursing itself is the beginning of taking the Lord's name in vain. And even cursing itself, of course, we're told scripturally to let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouth. And young people, listen to me, teenagers, children, the world, the devil will tell you, you can redefine what words mean. You can't. Although our society has. I'm telling you, when I was a kid, I was at the home of a non Christian friend. His family wasn't Christians, so a beer drinking non Christian dad. And he got onto me hard for saying B U T T. And look how far we've come. And society says, oh, words don't really matter. It's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. God created our mouths, and He wants them to say, Certain things. Because all of this weakens our defenses and weakens our sensitivities so that we don't even care about the Lord's name being taken in vain. It's not just verbally, it's, it's our actions. Again, the devil comes and in a blasphemic way tries to mimic and mock all that God has for us. Will it be immorality? Deceit? Homosexuality, trying to redefine manhood and womanhood and marriage and all of these things. It's just a progression, folks. The devil doesn't ever say that's enough. He wants to destroy our society from the inside in. The next steps are worse and worse as we as believers stop caring. About these of course, the world doesn't care. They're not believers. They, they, we, we get mad at them for not caring, but they shouldn't. They don't know Christ. It's the Christian who needs to lovingly care. We don't condemn the world. We want them to know Christ. But they've got to see in us those who care about these things. All of these things, Lord. Help us to let it bother us again. Some of you today, you need to come. And say, I I realize I don't know Christ for sure. I don't want to be on the wrong side of this chapter. And we'd love to show you how to know Christ. There at home as you're watching, stop now. Make sure, just in your own words, tell him, I believe, I repent. Come in to my heart and forgive me. Help me follow you. Others of us need to just ask God to help us care again about his name. Let's pray.